0: The Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. Twin brother Josh Motenko is out today with me, as always, good friend Mike Minkoff.
1: How's it going, Adam? I'm here. I'm dishing dimes like uh, Robert Williams against the Suns.
0: (laughs) And we're excited today to have Bobby Manning with us from Celtics Blog, from CLNS Media. He's got a Dome Theory podcast through CLNS. Uh, I watch those YouTube videos all the time. Boston Sports Journal, at Real Bob Manning on Twitter. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: What's up, guys? It's good to be here. Appreciate the work you're doing here on the podcast side on Celtics blog and uh, all the good conversation we always have on the Slack. So it's good to finally talk to you guys uh, vocally, I guess I'll say. Yeah, exactly. It was it was some of the, the
0: conversations on Slack that made us want to talk to you today. Uh, we're going to talk about this, this Celtics team. What is going on with this team? What is this team? We're going to talk about some recent games, and we may get into some Jalen Brown, do we trade him or not conversation. But let me just first sort of set things up about where things stand at this point. So we've won the, the last two games, and it, at least to me, does not feel like it, because it's been an ugly week. It's been a, an ugly few weeks. Jalen Brown dropped a 50-piece against Orlando come back win a game that we really looked like we were about to lose. And other than the Minnesota game a week ago would have ranked at the top of worst losses of the season. Had we not come back to win that game. Um, But we beat a top two team in the, in the suns the game before that. And right now we are ninth in the East, only three games out of the fourth seed. We're four and a half games out of the number four draft slot. I can't decide (laughs) which one I'm more interested in. 18 and 19 on this season. Uh, we're six and nine in the last 15 games. Not a good record. Eight games from the halfway mark of the season. And our point differential should put us uh, with a record in about fifth place. Um, Bobby, what do you see from this team recently? Uh, and is it changing your perception of of how the season has gone so far? No, nothing changed
2: my perception of the team. They, they <laughs> are who they are. That it's very clear what this team is this year which sort of leads us in some big picture discussions here that i'm sure we're gonna have because they haven't changed much really since last year i was i'm always going back like looking on what was happening a year ago and last season was starting right around 12 months ago and you just look back at like the ups and downs of that early stretch last year they started pretty hot Uh, They won and lost pretty much back and forth the rest of the way. They had a lot of weird lineups. They had a good offense last year and a bad defense. Now it's a good defense and a bad offense. So that's sort of flip, but the results are essentially the same here. Just some baffling losses, Uh, some facilitating issues, I think are really becoming the uh, culprit for this team's worst play when that goes bad and sour, when they don't move the ball and when they lean the isolation and. What disappoints me is some good things Ime Udoka, I thought, implemented to start the year in terms of a strong switching system, a defense that was number one for a little while to start this year. It really looked like it could have become the stalwart of this team, even if they weren't going to score a bunch of points. That's sort of settled more toward league average. And the offense has just never really gotten off the ground at all. The shooting's horrible. I think they're 30% on the season at this point, somewhere down near there. And they don't pass all that well. I think they're down near the bottom of the league in assist rate. So once again, that's a huge issue, just like last year. And uh, you are essentially seeing an isolation rate that's right up there with Brooklyn. And I think Oklahoma City's in third. They're tied for second at this point. So, <laughs> Oklahoma
1: City doesn't belong in that group.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, they do have one good player who just essentially does everything there. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that doesn't lend itself to being productive unless you're brooklyn or a team like that that just has guys who are amazing at that and yeah that's where this season is really starting to get disappointing because they're spinning their wheels here going on two years you know not developing not winning uh, not doing much of anything so yesterday was a weird game as we record this like that's sort of if that happened a year ago now i think people would have been really excited yeah it's orlando and yeah you shouldn't have been losing to them but you have this historic performance and the spirited comeback and i think people would have been fooled by it 12 months ago mm-hmm. this time around i mean the crowd was into it i was there it was exciting in the moment but you sort of came away from it especially in the postgame presses there saying yeah that it's, i guess it's good they won but that was not a very encouraging performance there in fact it's almost as if they lost just how poorly they played for most of that game and just where they're progressing as a team right now, or regressing, I guess, is the right word. Like, they're going in the wrong direction right now, below 500. Um, it's not pretty. It's not. So,
1: I, I have, like, two kind of questions for, for I guess, both of you, um, you know, related really to these last two games, right? It, it's, one, just to, to kind of high-level recap, is, was, a you know, pretty commanding win over the second best team in the NBA, arguably. Right, right? Like a top three team for sure
0: this season. Top two, I would say.
1: Yeah. So far. And then the other was um a just barely snatched victory out of the Jaws <laughs> of Defeat. Uh when after blowing a four early fourteen point lead against like the second worst team in the NBA
2: missing which, a bunch of guys too.
1: which yeah so which game feels more representative of who this team is that's my first question my second question is and it's kind of related to how you might answer the first how compelled are you by the argument because bobby you were touching on kind of how this team has been this way since last season right how compelled are you by the argument that we still don't really know what this team is because we were hit so hard by COVID last year. And then this year again, we're near the top of the the league and games missed from COVID. How compelled are you by that line
2: of thinking? Somewhat so because it's, it's right that they haven't had the starting unit together for much of this season and the whole collective there. But just going off the things you can take away uh, crucial moments like fourth quarter production when you do essentially have your best five guys out there and you're trying to close games out they're about as bad as any other team in that spot Uh, they've had Brown and Tatum playing together for spots and only recently have they started to play well together I'm just trying to think of things you can take away from the games that we've seen this year based on who's been in and out Uh, I think at times they've played well in the defensive end with most of their guys intact but offensively, which is really the downfall of this team, I think even when they've been more loaded, more more their lineup available, they've had issues on on that end. So I'm not very compelled by that. I I think going on two years of hearing that it's a job saving argument. Um like I think that's so easy for coaches and executives to say, like it just sort of grants you this pass for An extended period of time. And we've talked about this in Slack and other things is that during the course of the year, not a lot of teams have their full lineup intact. Like, that's just not something that happens in the NBA anymore. This year's to the extreme, uh, but quite a few teams this year have been in that position. And some have thrived, some have sunk off of it. I I think that's the the availability of everybody, I think, is pretty far down the list for me of what's going on here and what's wrong with this. Uh, it, It would help if they were fully loaded. I think most teams look at their best five and their best lineup and say, Ooh, we're pretty good when these guys are out there. But you have good teams and bad teams every year. Like, I like to say when people throw out that Boston's main guys are plus whatever, that Minnesota is the best lineup in the NBA. You know, Minnesota is a team that's a couple games below 500, isn't really going anywhere, might not even make the playoffs if things break the wrong way. So every team, when they're fully loaded, is going to say, We look great. Uh, but sort of moving through the ebbs and flows of that is what makes you as a team and i it brings me back again to last year the way that roster was constructed and really the way this one is too wasn't well built to survive a covid year like not a lot of reliable depth not a lot of guys that can come up off the bench and replicate the production of your main guys Uh, so That's sort of the thinking in evaluating a team, right? Like, depth matters too. Like, sustaining injuries matters. Those are things that are going to happen. I mean, teams that made the deepest realms of the playoffs last year dealt with some major losses. So that's just something that every team goes through during a year, I'd say.
0: Mike, I, I want to remind you that the starting lineup of Kendrick Perkins, Rajon Rondo, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Pearson, Allen has still never lost. I don't know why you're reminding point... me.
1: I, I, I wasn't <laughs> saying this is something I believed in. I was asking whether it's something you guys believed in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At some point, you got to deal with the, the players you have. And there there is a, a pervas- pervasive problem, I think, with this team. Um, that they I don't know whether it's a culture piece, if that's the right word, but there's something going on with this team that doesn't allow them to almost in a Belichickian way say like next man up we just got to keep going and and we have a system in place uh this team has maybe if they were fully healthy and every other team was dealing with the COVID and and injury uh issues that they that they have this team would do well but I I, I'm I'm not compelled by that that argument I think you have to figure out a way to um get by even when you're shorthanded and this team has really struggled to do that. And it, it almost seems like has leaned on that as an excuse um, or a re- reason why, whether it's just internally or also externally. It's, 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 it's so easy to
2: before. say, like you can't you come out of games where you you don't look right. And I, I hate hearing it because Imei is not a guy who makes many excuses. I think overall he's tried to soften his no. messaging a bit because he realized in this Boston market and in this NBA media landscape that you know, any criticism is going to be blown up tenfold, and I don't think he wants it avalanching on these guys like it did earlier in the year. So I think he's trying to mix in some uh, qualms about his uh, his criticisms there. He mixes in some tough talk while also acknowledging things that are going on there. I think that's part of the strategy he's going for there publicly. Uh, but you look at like the Minnesota game and just how shorthanded they were when they beat you and L.A. Missing so many key guys on their end, Cleveland in that game. That was essentially a free win with the lineup that they were putting out there for that one. So, you have run into a number of teams this past month, especially, where you were giving massive breaks and you weren't able to take advantage. And I don't think there was any game in particular where the Celtics were particularly undermanned. I like it's just a league wide thing that's going on right now, and they haven't been able to go to the next ball handler, uh, you know, lift up and integrate their youth effectively. Peyton Pritchard has played a little solid here or there. It is frustrating to see almost the entire team move in and out of protocols like it has over the last month. Like that's something I agree with eme about is that it's tough to build lineups and rotations that way. I don't think we have a good feel for like who plays together well on this roster. Uh, so that's what I'll give them, I guess, in that sense. But you look at the numbers for last year uh, the the injury
0: numbers for last year. the Celtics had by far the most in the league. People missed games because of covid. i I was using it as an excuse last year, and I thought it was more reasonable because of that disparity. This year, I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, even the players some of the players that came back this year, these most of the team has played together for years. And they're still like in, in the Orlando game in the second quarter, they were turning the ball over like it was the preseason game. Like Marcus Smart was passing it to Jalen Brown and they were not connected and it went out of bounds. Turnovers like that should not be happening with guys that have been playing together this long. And they have not played a uh, like the the replacement players they've had, uh they they haven't really played them except in garbage time. So the the guys getting real minutes on his team are are part of the rotation. Yeah. And that's not true for other teams. They've they've had a lot more
2: uh, losses and have had to substitute players that are not used to playing with. Yeah, with you, you've always had at least some of your regular contributors in there, I guess is the point. So
1: one thing, Adam, uh, that that you said a little bit ago um, that I think is kind of relevant, and I think it, it it gets into this important question of uh, starting to try to figure out what the team is and and how we weigh these variables. But you you mentioned like the the issue the team seems to have had with this quote unquote next man up mentality, and I I wonder, and maybe this is a little bit far fetched. You guys you guys tell me, but if part of the issue that the team has is, you know, if if it's a Tatum or a Brown that are out, right, they're the primary creators for the offense um, often and, and arguably too often because we saw what happens when you put the ball in the hands of the bigs and like Robert Williams and even uh, Al Horford who led the team in assists against the Suns where we were, we're able to don, dominate through kind of, Using their primary creation, but if we if we say Tatum and Brown are the primary creators, you know they play in a way that that, that isn't always generating easy looks for others, or not they're they're not always making the the easy pass, they're not always kind of staying within the offensive system. So then when when guys get the chance to play, they end up playing a little bit more selfishly as well, or or maybe selfishly is not quite the right word, but a little bit more a little bit less pass first and a little bit more shoot first. Do you guys think that that's the problem? And if so, how much of it is is that part of the problem?
2: I, I look at that and I think of the high leverage situations because I think that's where this team goes wrong so often. It's It's hard for me to get away from the fourth quarter numbers. And we've seen in so many circumstances this year that there's no calming force to go to in those spots. There's nobody that you can throw the ball to on this team and is going to automatically make a play. You know, I think everybody has their own individual flaws here, whether it's Tatum uh, diving into isolation, whether it's Brown getting a little loose with the ball. Uh, smart can sometimes lean into his shooting too much in those spots. Like, there's no perfect playmaker or reliable facilitator in those kind of situations. I think a game where you don't get a ton of defensive resistance and uh, you're generally able to play pretty free and loose, like that Orlando game, y- you see things go well. And I think that's where people look at this team and say, like, they have the personnel here. You know, you have the talent in the two J's. You have a passer and smart. You have big men who are pretty exceptional at passing relative to other bigs in the league. So it it does baffle me a little bit why that's a problem, just given what they have here. But I think it's tough. And I I asked Dennis about this last night. You, You have so many guys here who do things with the ball in their hands that whoever doesn't have the ball in their hands almost feels lost. And this happens to Brown a ton. This happens to... Grant, Romeo, others, there's not much cutting movement on this team. There's not a lot of like action that frees up other guys and makes the game easier for the people with the ball in their hands. So I think everybody just ends up looking at themselves and saying, like, how am I going to answer this individually? There's not really a connection across the board with the team there. And I think that does sort of go back to the roster being constructed around a bunch of guys who...
1: Our ball dominant, our right? scores, yeah, yeah,
2: ball dominant, uh, sh- shooters, whatever you want to call it, like they they're gonna solve the game with their own skills, and there's enough talent for them to do that in moments. But uh, when it all needs to come together, when double teams and blitzers are being thrown at the best player on the floor, like when crisis starts emerging for this team, even against a Minnesota team that was G Leaguers and replacement players, like they did not look like they had an idea of how to play with each other yeah uh, so that's a huge issue for me and that's why like in the slack today i was talking about like how much of an impact would just one guy who really has a good sense in those moments uh, how impactful would that have been for this team because you do see some great teams have those guys like drew holiday from Milwaukee, rondo for la a couple of years ago they're rare. Uh, but you can go out there and find those guys, and they haven't made a big effort to do so in recent years. Yeah,
1: well, I've been I've been clamoring. I mean, I I asked on the Slack last year uh, if if Lowry would be better on our team than Kemba. Um, I won't name names, but I will say that the prevailing sentiment was against getting lowry over kemba i think the answer today would be a little different a little uh, bit of lonzo
2: too yeah i've a been lot of people i was definitely lonzo very pro
1: lonzo uh i've been I've, i was pro rubio before he got hurt um because i fully agree on the connector i just have one quick comment about smart uh, so i was also like one of the very earliest uh proponents of smart at Getting a, getting a chance at our point guard. I actually didn't think we should get Kemba initially when we made that trade, because I wanted to see the the Smart, Tatum, Brown, Hayward core. And I thought that would have fit really well together. But if Smart doesn't stop with these no-look passes to, to the other team, I might lose my mind. <laughs> like, he needs to get that out of his game. Uh, I think he will probably by the end of the season, the same way he no longer takes nearly as many bad threes as he used to. Um, he likes the flash. Sometimes they're beautiful, but he had like three or four turnovers last night against Orlando, uh, trying to make the flashy pass that just did not
2: work. Yeah. Jalen a little bit too, going behind the back to, I think it was Richardson on that play. Scary. That scary. was risky. Richard that was there. risky. He hit that it. Seven turnovers it before that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the, clearly the issue with this team, I think is that they don't have a, Sense of where they're going in that spot. And I do find it interesting that they just have so many people in that position. You know, Tatum and Brown, they're trying to uh, develop in those spots. And Schroeder and Smart are two guys who lead the team in ball time. But you also have Richardson, Horford, Rob. Like they're up and down the lineup. There's guys that can do this, but nobody steps up and excels at it. Uh, So you wonder what the answer is there. Like, do, do, do you go shoot heavy? I thought it was interesting that the Celtics put a bunch of shooters on the floor against Orlando. They, they sort of try to go with lineups that accentuate whatever shooting they do have on this team. I think that sort of leads toward you not having your best players on the floor uh, at one time, but that shooting issue, the finishing issue around the playmakers right now is so uh, deep and impactful on this team's offensive outcome right now that, I, I was glad to see may start to try that a little bit because people have been screaming for that throughout the year, just putting Neesmith in, putting Hauser in, guys who have some sort of shooting pedigree out there. And I think that they've definitely started to consider that more because the shooting just, how many times have they lost games this year and said, oh, the shots just didn't go in? And then the most extreme example was that Clippers game. So, I guess, I mean,
1: to like... And Adam, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are here, but like what's, what's, you know, how much of the ways to address this are actually on the roster and there's ways to tweak the rotations and get guys healthy. And then, you know, how much is, is it making moves and, and changing, changing kind of the mix of personnel? and, And if it's the latter kind of, who would you focus on?
0: I mean that's that's the big question. Uh, I I have trouble breaking up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, I, I think when when you talk about adding a guy who who is a, a ball mover, Hayward was certainly that playing that role for the Celtics. Um, and and I think part of what we've seen being an issue started when he left. Uh, it just hasn't been the same since he left. And uh, I think you when you get guys who play a lead role in the offense who have that passing gene, that is contagious. And I think you're seeing the opposite here with Tatum and Brown because they're just they just haven't figured out how to make their teammates better yet. And Brown especially. Yeah, you think both? Bre- You've seen more um, shift in Tatum learning how to do that.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, and I've always saw he's had a passing pedigree. You know, wh- back to watching him at Duke. He was a great secondary ball mover there. Now he's moved into more of a primary role in that spot, and he can get a little turnover happy. Uh, he can get a little more uh, tunnel vision there sometimes when he's looking to score more than pass. But when he puts his mind to it, like that Toronto game earlier in the year. He can have some big passing nights. Uh, he just had, you know, he's obviously tall. He sees the floor well. He gets in the deep positions in the defense. He drives a ton at this point in his career, and the defense really does collapse. Double blitz, just throw a ton at him. So he's able to move the ball out and get off the ball and start screening and rolling and cutting and doing different things that I think get the offense moving a little bit. Brown, like he, he doesn't even really have dribbling down completely yet <laughs> so like he's so far behind just skill wise in that area that i do hear people say like what are you even trying to make him a playmaker for and it's hard for me to argue against that because he is like at ground zero right now in terms of developing that part of his game and he is a little bit in- into his career at this point like what's he 25 six years in Like he he's he's improved he's improved a lot. I mean, when he
0: came in, he had trouble making making every layup. He had trouble with dribbling. He had trouble with free throws. Yeah, so I don't rule it all. Have improved.
2: Yeah, if he's just very raw there now. If
0: Josh were here, he would say that he believes learning is not linear. That sometimes, like a switch goes off and they just kind of things click and they they get it. And I think he would say that about that that there's potential for both Tatum and Brown to get that in terms of playmaking. Do you see? uh growth in that way in in the same way
2: i've seen a little this month for brown which is encouraging but then it just completely fell apart over the last week or two here when his role got ramped up uh he he had six turnovers i think in each of those uh phoenix and minnesota games and then the career high seven against uh the magic unforced errors like i think ball security is such a big part of that role in the offense and When it capsizes, it can get ugly. And the Magic really didn't make them pay. They weren't scoring much off of those turnovers. So, you know, I think any other team with capable offense would have really made the Celtics pay there and beat them pretty handily off those. So I'm willing to see it out. My only concern is that you don't have a ton of time like, you know, you once the season ends, you're two years from Brown's free agency and right. you're, you're three years from Tatum. Like these aren't rookie contract guys anymore. Like you got to start to think about accentuating them a little bit more than trying to have them do everything just because you don't think you can acquire other guys. And listen, they they're pretty limited. Like there's a reason that Ime looks at Brown and Tatum and says, like, these guys have to be the ones who do this. Cause we they couldn't go get Lowry. He didn't want to come here. Ball didn't want to come here. He wanna to go to Chicago. Like you had to sign and trade for those guys and they they didn't have interest in joining this team. Luckily Schroeder did. He was more the low end of the market in terms of point guards that you could have acquired and his production is sort of than what you would expect from that kind of guy. So like they don't have premium picks. They don't have prospects that teams really want. And this is why we talk about Brown. I don't like it, but I understand why people do it because he's the only guy that other teams would look at and say, we're going to give up decent amount of stuff for this guy. But I look at it and I know we're going to go there pretty soon in this conversation But I I look at it and it's like, if you're really trying to accentuate your two great players here and those two great players are what makes you special. What's kind of, what's the point of giving up one of them? You might feel better about the roster as a whole, but you, you don't have what's special there. So that's why I understand what they're doing with Brown and Tatum. It's just, they're so early into this and they've, they've only shown minor spurts in that playmaking area that it does make you wonder if they're just sort of like punching the wall by trying to make these guys do these things. And you'd feel better about having a pastor who can set them up and some shooters around them and just things that would make this roster around them a little better and make the whole thing hum a little bit more.
1: yeah I mean for me and and you hit to me what the key consideration is right on the head and it's not about it's not about talent. it's not about I mean it is at a at some some level, but it's really about time. it's about the 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 window and like if I knew now, that Jalen Brown was gonna re-sign a, a new deal, then I wouldn't trade it. Like it's obviously you wouldn't yeah. trade him.
0: Yeah. Like then it's not. Then it's not
1: a consideration. The 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 question is is there is is there a risk or how real is the risk of Jalen Brown leaving when he becomes a free agent, and and if that's a real risk, like I don't know, maybe even as much as like. Greater than thirty percent possibility, then, as you said, start. You know, to me, it's like starting at the trade deadline next year. You you pretty much you have to think really seriously about moving him when you can kind of maximize his value, even though you're you know it will be next to impossible to get get that value back in return, and maybe. You know, maybe you just write it out to the end and say, you know, hopefully we can work out at worst sign in trade or get like, you know, another coveted Celtics TPE <laughs> trade a player. Well, the tricky. But oh God, I know, no, I the, know. the tricky not thing even th- talk about it.
2: The tricky thing there is that you do have a guy who could who potentially could become the best player in the NBA and Tatum. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility for his upside. So you do want to have keeping him as the priority, right? Like you look at the two J's and listen, I've been the kind of guy who say who said Jalen at his best can approach Tatum, but I think we've seen a little I, bit I of think we've separ- seen enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think
2: we've seen the separation there. So you're almost fixated a little bit more on Tatum than Brown and his future here. You want to keep Tatum here forever and you want him to have the ability to lead this team the championship. So if moving Brown does get you what you need toward that goal. I'm open to it. Listen, I'm open to anything with fixing this team. Like they've been so stagnant. They're so far from developing their young guys and they've been so far for going on 3 seasons now from contending that you can't look at what they have right now and say like, "Oh, they'll figure it out or this is working or, you know, when they're healthy, like we said at the beginning of the show, like this will look great." They they're not an NBA finals contender right now. Uh even at their Best, I'd say. And the East just keeps getting better. You know, Chicago has made that big move to jump up to the top. Uh, Brooklyn did it. Milwaukee has won a championship at this point. And then you have other middling teams here like Charlotte that are trending in an upward direction. You're trending down. Uh, So you can't look at this roster right now and say, like, oh, we're just going to wait it out and, uh, you know, we're going to hope it comes together and we're not going to take any risks here because. The Brown free agency is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if they're still kind of in a crappy situation, when he comes up, he'll, he'll probably leave. If they're in a great situation, he might still leave. Cause that's kind of how the league is right now. Like Durant left a champion in Golden State for who knows why. Um, but you're in a much better position if you're in, if you're thriving as a team and contending for championships year in and year out uh, to keep them. So you either have to this off season, like make an aggressive move with everything else you have to really consolidate here. And that's what I've been writing about for a while now. Like, I think you got to look deeply at moving smart and Rob and all the picks you have, you have all your future picks. You got to kind of consolidate that into something that can help these guys win now, or you do have to look at getting ahead on that Brown thing. And this really is the time to do it, right? When you're one year out, gets a little trickier in terms of what you can get back and you know, by the time with what you just mentioned there, like from when free agency comes and you're scrambling to do a sign and trade, like you're going to get absolutely nothing back from then. And then you're in the situation you were in with Kyrie and Al and Marcus Morris and Roger, where you've just lost all these guys for nothing. And then what does Tatum have left at that point? Like Tatum will be looking out the door at that point too. So this this summer is so critical for them. I don't think there's going to be much going on at the deadline that can – help them big picture in fact i don't think there'll be much activity at all yeah i i would love
1: i would love to see them move schroeder at the deadline um and maybe get a first if anyone's given that much but even just to kind of clean up some of the rotation challenges for for May and and open up a bit more space for pritchard and or kneesmith to a lesser degree
2: yeah I think you have to do that. If you don't know who who your young guys are by the end of the year, you, you've wasted even more time. And you make it harder on yourself in the offseason, too, to do the things we just talked about, right? Because I, I, I read the Bleacher Report. I think it was Pincus who wrote it a couple of weeks ago. And obviously, it was coming from inside Boston that said, like, oh, we have Pritchard and Grant and East Smith and Romeo. I forget the word he used exactly, but it was, like, these intriguing young guys. And it's like, all right. Just because you say that doesn't mean it's going to be true, and it's not true. Like those guys don't have value around the league right now until they start to show yeah. spurts, and still they until they carve out regular roles. And so you sort of have to force it the rest of the way here. Like I think a shorter trade is kind of a no-brainer to make that happen, um, and maybe even Richardson as well. And Richardson would probably have more value being a guy who's signed for multiple years, defends well. Uh, can shoot a little bit and play make like that's a guy who would be really valuable to another contender the problem is the celtics have sort of been this weird spot where they're like fighting for the next seed or you know i guess at this point it's trying to make the playoffs as a whole because they're sort of in that playing tournament area there so i don't know what they're really like digging into night in and night it's almost like every game's life or death for them even though there's like a big picture here that they really have to figure out and they're not winning anyway right like that's the problem here they they're not it's not like they're carving out these great seasons anyway where you're like oh we don't want to start to subtract a little bit here
1: yeah i think i mean i i imagine if i were sitting in that front office what i'd be frustrated with it's kind of going back to that earlier question it's like i i just want to see this team large pretty much fully healthy for like 10 games and i want to see like i don't think they're a a contender but i want to get a an actual feel of like what works and what doesn't and then forget
2: health just play well this next month right like right but
1: that but that but it's part of it right it's like having consistent lineups with, with our more talented, with our reasonably talented players, like so that we play well against in a week, in a, in a, in a month where we're going up against weaker competition. And then we can kind of get a sense of like, all right, do like, cause if we can do that, then it's like, okay, this isn't inherently broken, but we clearly need to upgrade the talent at the margins. Um, yeah. but, but if we can't do that, it's like, okay, this really is broken. I, but, and it feels broken a lot of the time as to me when I'm watching because it's so up and down but if I was in the in the front office I'd I'd have a really hard time knowing that it's so up and down because the fit is wrong versus some of these other external f- factors which are simultaneously feel like excuses and legitimate
2: yeah and, and the other factor there is do you, do you trust the guy making the decisions yet? It's, it's Brad now. And, you know, he had a decent off season. I thought. We'll see how it looks long term. But you, you really trusted Danny on this kind of stuff. Like the feel of the team, where they're headed, tough decisions. Even last year, the Fournier move wasn't great, but you were watching that team and you said, they are just dying for a third wing right now. Like they are going to completely fall apart here toward the playoffs. And, really get ugly if they don't add that extra like rotation guy here because the team was so thin and he went out made that move made it for pretty cheap and i thought it was a good attempt to fix what was wrong last year it didn't work out but it was i think it was the right mindset in that spot um brad i don't know like i just even that interview he gave the globe last week it was it was just a lot of you know, hopeful talk. I think that's most of what is coming out of the players right now. Is yeah, we think we'll play better. We hope we'll play better. Um, you know, new year, new us. But there's not answers here, right? And like, yes, you want to get healthy. You want to see some things start to mesh together. But at the same time, like, even if they're losing, you just want to see them play the right way and and play well. Like, you could take some losses and exactly and a ba- and a mediocre record if something was developing here you looked at something that was sustainable but it's like rob has a great game he's down again you know tatum has a good passing game next game he's nine for 28 like the consistency factor there especially for individuals on this team is what you look at and say like this just isn't working right
1: now both in how we play like like how well we play but how we play like i just want it would be nice if we consistently like played like the same type of offense like if we could just keep moving the ball and like getting into our offense quickly and you know getting the ball to the other side of the floor and it feels like we do that if we do it well two games in a row we like the team collectively rests on its laurels starts feeling itself and then devolves into all of its bad habits you just want to see you know can you do that at least nine games out of ten
2: yeah i just want to see these and it was encouraging to hear you may say that they're going to start to mix in the young guys a little bit down the stretch of the year here give some veteran guys some relief and stuff because you you have to see these guys you gotta you gotta make a decision on them they've been here too long how long was Carson edwards here before they finally let him go (laughs) like at romeo at this point i know he hasn't played a lot but he hasn't shown many spirits either how
1: how dare you put romeo in the same breath as carson edwards that's an insult to romeo Uh, we won't we won't abide that (laughs) that romeo slander here let's see some
2: spirits you know like i just yeah and he he had a nice one on friday against phoenix and maybe that's what you can start to see a little bit more often from him if he's playing at that rate every game but he's another guy who has a good game and then he's down again with illness so it is kind of hard to evaluate this. It, like you do kind of give it to them in terms of the sustainability game in and game out of what you're seeing and just who's there, even. Like it is kind of crazy.
0: Bobby, do you think this team has a problem developing young players, giving them an opportunity to play? Or is it that they're they're just not talented enough?
2: I, I don't think there's any doubt that they have an issue in that regard. Uh, we've seen it under two coaches. Uh, Eme has sort of reflected a lot of Brad at this point, right? Like in terms of his rotations, the things he values. And Brad did say he was going to hire a coach that was similar to him with some subtle differences. And I think that's exactly what Eme's been. The I don't want to say rigidness because the guys he's playing are playing better than the young guys. So I don't think it's he's like going against the grain or anything there and just... Giving uh, the benefit of the doubt to the older guys there. I think he's playing the guys who have played best for the large part of the season. But there really is no other way. Like, let's say Neesmith and his defense, because his defense is pretty bad. There's no way to improve that without playing him. And he hasn't gone the main yeah. either. That's something you can do. I know that's sort of screwed up this year, too. Um, but he's just sitting on the bench more often than not. And Romeo, like, he gets his spot situations, but he doesn't really have an opportunity to do much offensively when he's out there besides catch and shoot, and that's not really his forte. So you're not really putting him in a position to succeed. Grant, like, finally carved out a role for himself. Uh, That was largely on him, it felt like, just mastering that corner three and knowing that, like, that's where he can find shots in this offense. And credit to him, like, he's... Such an intuitive player and uh, reads the game so well on both ends of the floor that I think it was pretty easy for him to acclimate himself to this league on a bunch of different teams at this point. So he's not even a success story in terms of the Celtics development there. And then you do just look at the kind of guys that they've let go and have thrived elsewhere. And yes, opportunity in those spots like Miami and Houston uh, for Matthews and Houston and Max Struess and Miami and stuff like that, like that lends itself towards success. Like There's a lot of great players in this league, and when they play a lot of minutes, they're going to play well. Uh, but how can you start to integrate these guys on this roster and have ways for them to be involved and get better? That's where they've really failed. I mean, look at Sam Hauser. There is there is no doubt that Sam Hauser is the best shooter on this team. When you see what he's done in I mean, Maine, and, he, yes, he did, it's Maine. He did hit the side of a backboard yesterday. So. But, I mean, he was <laughs> – listen, I know, I know it's Maine – But he's up in Maine shooting over 40% on nine threes a game. Like, that is not easy to do for anyone. Uh, And can you find something for him to contribute here? Because he hasn't played at all effectively this year. Like, he's played two real games where he's gotten in for good minutes, maybe three. Uh, So, listen, he's on the low end of that totem pole. Like, the guys you really have to develop and integrate are Neesmith and Pritchard. Those are the guys that went out there and killed Summer League that you had development plans for and actually could impact this team in terms of what this team needs with shooting and wing play and stuff like that and they've largely just been dnps all year which is so disappointing and hopefully it starts to go in the other direction i mean these last two weeks neesmith was the last guy you want to see go out for as long as he has here so that was a killer but you know they've started to inch towards some progress with pritchard langford and especially grant this year so Maybe it's turning around. Maybe these guys just stink. I mean, there's there's a chance that they got all bad guys. <laughs> like there really is. But we need to
0: find out though. We need to find you out. You got
2: to find out by the end of this season. You have to.
0: Bobby, let me throw a couple rapid fire questions at you before we leave here, Mike. Mike, I think you'll get a chance to see some health. Uh, it looks like the team is getting healthy here. So I think you got a chance to see the team for a good month, hopefully, fingers crossed, before we have to start making decisions about the deadline. But Bobby, you've you've been talking about um, keeping the Jays together for as long as possible for a while and uh, talking about sub- changing the supporting cast. So I'm, it's interesting to hear you shift that a little bit. Is there anyone on the market now that you would consider trading Brown for? Simmons, Dame, I, I don't know, anybody else that, that has been talked
2: about? So, the construction of a, there's two constructions of a deal that actually made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Simmons, no way. Like, I, I think there's you, the one for one there makes no sense for Boston. And I don't think, with how Philly has handled negotiations, that they're going to give you more like Maxi and Curry and guys that could really help the Celtics. So, plus they're competing with each other. There's not really a deal to be had there, I don't think. Uh, the two deals that raised my eyebrows a little bit are Memphis and indiana now memphis i don't think memphis is going to give you jaron jackson so i think you're probably out on that one because that's the kind of guy you look at who's so young who's so springy defensively and just has so much room to grow and is kind of a different player than tatum in terms of style that you could look at him growing into something and then getting a couple guys who support Tatum back like let's say Dylan Brooks and maybe Desmond Bain yep. or Brandon Clark or something like that and you end up with a more well-rounded roster and a premium young guy in jackson who you can rest your hat on becoming your number two and an anchor on defense and all the rest if I'm Memphis like you, you do think about that a little bit just in terms of like really ranching up ranching up the uh, talent on your roster now to compete for a west title right now um now I think they'll yep. be a little more patient there and I don't think they'd be willing to give you all that kind of stuff, especially in an off season. And they've drafted so well that I think they kinda of trust what they're doing there anyway. So I don't think that's gonna happen. The Indiana one is one that I think could happen. Uh you you have a situation where Malcolm Brogdon's gonna be available again come summertime. Uh Sabonis is a guy that they've reportedly made available here, and I think has been so underutilized there and is still so young that I think he could really grow into something special in a more prominent position on a different team, on a better team especially. Uh, And he's just flat out available right now, which is helpful because you don't really have to force the other team up the seat to get moving there. Like Indiana is looking at something of a soft rebuild here. Now that makes... I think Marcus Smart, that kind of player, a little more intriguing to them because they're not trying to bottom out. like They're trying to bring in guys who can still help them win and compete and get better pretty quickly there. So he probably has more value to Indiana than he would most teams there. Brogdon probably has a little bit more value to you because he's an off-ball shooter and a guy that can move the ball and defend and do different things that you probably need at the point guard spot more than what Smart's able to give you right now. Uh, So can you come up with a bigger deal there where... Uh, you get Sabonis, you get Brogdon, you get maybe one other piece there from Indiana, and you completely transform the core of your roster and allow Indiana to overhaul their roster, get a real st- young star in uh, Brown, and replace their point guard and Smart, downgrade a little bit, but bring in some intangibles and... Uh, you know defensive anchors and all the stuff we always talk about with smart there I really think when you look at where Indiana and Boston are there's something you can look at there that would intrigue both sides and I think both of these teams are at the point where they would actually be prompted to move a little bit because Indiana is just dead right now with what they have on their roster Boston a little stuck too so do you sort of just swap what you have there and you know, I hope it works out around TJ Warren and Miles Turner if you're Indiana and Jason Tatum and Rob if you're Boston. That's It's a real possibility there, I think.
0: Yes or no, the effort on this team was an issue in the beginning of the season. Has that improved?
2: I haven't thought effort has been an issue all year, especially like you've seen Tatum and Brown on the boards. Not at the beginning? Toronto game maybe um the chicago game i guess like there were a couple moments but it turned around so quickly that i haven't been concerned about that at all this year um maybe in moments for sure like when they go down early in the games and uh, you know have to go through a third quarter second quarter low maybe well, that's plus, but... that's
0: the next question focus has been an issue have you seen them put 48 minutes together yet this season
1: no and that's what you're waiting for they, they uh, may maybe... have against phoenix
2: didn't they lose the second half though? And I get you know it did, 30, it's a great team so.
1: though. You can play well against Phoenix and lose like that I was mean, a it, really
2: good win. That was a really F- good
1: Phoenix win. is the closest. Is the closest, but that's like a poss- possible, not definite. Yeah, I'll give and, it to
2: them. I'll and the only
1: and the only instance in not just this season but the last season and a half.
2: That's the kind of game that shows you how much Rob can raise this team's ceiling when he's at his best. Mm-hmm, for and sure. we haven't seen it a ton, but that's like one of the few like escape valves that they have right now is Rob really putting it together as a player. Cause then you have a big three. Uh, so that's like what intrigues you about that game. Okay. Final
0: question. The the question we've been holding is what is this team? What is the problem? How you've got access. Uh, you're at all the press conferences. How would you, say that the front office or the coaching staff how would they characterize or define the problem
2: or define the issue with this team mm, I think it it goes back to playmaking and just having someone on the offensive end to consistently step up in that area they have been talking about it a ton we've talked about it a ton tonight I think that's just sort of what sets the tenor of your team is having one guy to really lean on and and they don't for the most part i think um i think you look at the performance of the best players on this team this year and they just for much of the year haven't been good enough Uh, i give smart kind of a pass because i think he's done all the smart things so well this year but he's not a good enough player to be your third piece there Uh, so i think overall it's just guys playing at the level that they can play at for large touches of these games like Rob's been so inconsistent this year he really has and Tatum started the year so terribly and Brown's been so bad lately like those guys if they just played as well as they can you'd be at 500 or a little above at this point and they've largely been there and I think that's why this year is such a disappointment is that the guys you rely on just haven't been good enough consistently enough and I think you know you can gripe about the roster around them and all the different stuff and the injuries and availability and all that, but they just have to be better. They really do.
0: Well, if the question is the issue is playmaking, the answer is you either have to figure it out internally, which means that your best players need to lead by example and, and lead the rest of the team, or you have to shift the roster. Bobby Manning, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're listening this far, you are a part of Celtics Pride. Do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow Bobby Manning at RealBobManning. Follow us at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff at Coach Motenko. I'm not on Twitter. Thank you for listening, everyone. Go back and, and read Bobby's articles. He, he had a great one on Celtics blog about Pritchard and about Jalen Brown uh, on CLNS.